1: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. And we will be joined a little bit later on by Lawn Beach State Coach Eric Valenzuela. Very excited to talk uh, with Coach about the dirt bags in his first year on the job there at Lawn Beach um, here on the Baseball America College Podcast presented by Rapsoda. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the National Player Database at rapsodo.com/nationaldatabase. Hey Joe. We are uh, we are into October now, uh, and that means playoff baseball, among other things. Uh, it's uh, you know, I, we, we, it's hard to believe we're in October. I, I say that every month now uh, during the this uh, off season that won't end. But you know, October I really did sneak up on me. The MOB playoffs really snuck up on me. I mean, obviously those started in September, and I think that was a little bit part of that last week. Uh, but it's uh, it's hard to believe we're in October. and for the programs that are playing fall baseball this year, like they're they're moving along pretty well in into the fall at this point. A lot of them are you know kind of approaching uh, completion or at, at least well into it. Um, obviously in some of the absolute best weather, they're they're just gonna get going here a bit. But it's uh, it's been interesting to to watch how everything's played out as we've reached October here.
2: It is a little bit of an advantage, you know, spoiler alert for our, you know, interview with uh, coach Valenzuela or, you know, we don't mention fall practice there with him and that's because they they haven't really gotten a chance to, to, to get going yet. But, you know, you think about the clock is really ticking, but you know, Southern California, (laughs) they've got a little bit of time. It's, It's really just comes down to how soon they're able to get out there. There, there are a few places that are, a little bit uh, that have that going for them. Southern California is one. Another one, of course, is, is South Florida. And I always know that because Miami typically starts their fall practice very, very late. I remember talking to Gino Damari last fall on this podcast, I think, and we were well in October and they had just started or had, had maybe uh, were getting ready to start one of the two. So they, time is on their side. It's just in a lot of places, it's just a matter of will they be able to get out there at at some point so but yes I, i'm with you it, it is surprising that we are into october and i i was thinking about this the other day just the degree to which things that happened non non-college baseball things cause i think we we all live so close to college baseball that it's it's hard for us to really have a warped sense of time when it comes to that kind of thing however with non-college baseball things somebody was referencing tiger king on netflix which is a show i, I did not watch but many, many people did back in March and April. And it seems like that was both yesterday and also two years ago somehow. So the the pandemic has created this weird warping effect of time where time both expands and contracts. And that's how we end up with Hey, look, October is here. So, um, but it has been nice to get the the places that can get out there and play some fall baseball. That has been nice. the, The teams out here locally where we are are mostly underway here as far as I know. And, they're a little bit different rules about you know whether or not folks like us can can show up and take it in and, and versus not but uh the place i have been able to go it's been nice like we, we've talked a lot about searching for normalcy and, and getting out there in the fall a little bit with a little bit of chill in the air and the sunny days has been has been a nice little piece of normalcy and ha- has me even more excited for the, the coming season in 2021.
1: Absolutely um Well, since we pressed stop on last week's episode, we had a bit of college baseball news last week. uh, LaSalle uh, came out with an announcement that they are cutting seven sports, including the baseball program, following this academic year. So the Explorers will play this spring, uh, but after that, the program is to be disbanded. you know, brings the total program cut count uh, so far in 2020 up to four. They joined Furman, Chicago State, uh, Bowling Green was cut, but later, uh, you know, that, that decision was was reversed. And now, um, you know, also uh, LaSalle joins that list. And unfortunate to to see any any program go away, uh, of course, but uh, you know, this one, a part of a much larger cut in the uh, in the athletic department. In, in some of these other places, it, you know, Chicago State only cut baseball. Furman, I think, it was only cutting two sports. Uh, but LaSalle get, gets caught up in a much larger athletic department re- restructuring. And we've seen that at some other places. Stanford did it. Brown did it um, you know so George Washington did it. Uh, these were places that sponsored a very high number of sports LaSalle is at 25 right now they'll go down to 18 which is uh, much closer to the average uh, if you look around the country and especially at schools in the Atlantic 10 uh, where LaSalle plays that's that's right at, right around average now um, and it seemed like they weren't saying it was a result so much of uh, of, of cost cutting as much as it was LaSalle is no longer thrilled with the idea of being a school that sponsors 25 sports that aren't as competitive as they would like to be and they would prefer to be a school that sponsors 18 uh, more competitive sports not not great no matter how you slice it for the baseball program uh, you know as as you know, the, the players will now all have to find new homes if they want to continue playing. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, it, it just feels a little bit different, I guess, if if that's the rationale, at least from the outside, than hearing, uh, you know, from a, just from a monetary standpoint, they can't figure out how to make it work. Uh, but the end result, of course, is the same, and, and it's not great news uh, for college baseball as now LaSalle, Boise State, Chicago State, and Furman. Um, you know, after this season will, will no longer have programs.
2: I think you're right that it it definitely did seem like a philosophy shift within the LaSalle athletic department versus anything, you know, um, versus just, you know, strictly cost, although cost is is obviously part of it. But, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a difference between the types of schools that typically have, you know, numbers of sports in the high 20s, versus the, 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 the schools that have sports in the teens. That's not to say you can't succeed in a lot of different sports with a high number. Stanford famously did that for a long, long time, but there tends to be a little bit of a difference in those schools that have those high numbers. It's, it's schools that are like Ivy league schools, uh, private academic institutions of which LaSalle is one, but uh, you know, along the Eastern seaboard, you know, schools like that. And what you see in a lot of those cases are those schools are big on athletics as just part of um, you know total student enrichment and it's just a you know they offer all those sports as because they, they just want those sports to be part of the campus community and they, they want the most vibrant you know on-campus you know student life uh, experience they can provide and athletics are a part of that whereas the schools that typically are real serious about being very successful at a small number or a slightly larger number of of sports tend to not be the schools that have these huge, huge athletic departments from a philosophy standpoint. Again, Stanford bucks that trends. I'm sure there are plenty of others that are very successful in specific sports and sponsor 20 some odd uh, um, different sports. But this did feel like a shift in in philosophy there. And there, uh, you know, LaSalle has, you know, from, from a baseball standpoint, LaSalle has struggled. It's just a program that has not really, been altogether relevant for the most part even with with schools like Bowling Green you could point to a couple of famous big leaguers who who kind of um, made the made uh, their names originally at Bowling Green before moving on to pro baseball you can't necessarily there are some players Tom Filer um, who have come through LaSalle to become pro baseball players but it's, it's certainly not a program that was churning out a lot of pro talent that said there are a couple guys on the team and you know, uh, understanding of course that LaSalle was not going to be a challenger, predicted to be a challenger in, in the A10, and, and still likely will not be in, in 2021, and hasn't been. They've got a couple players. Tatum Levins is a catcher who's put up big numbers there, who's well thought of, and he's the type of guy. If he doesn't get drafted, he is a junior. This is his third year of eligibility, I should say. I guess he'd be a a third year sophomore to use the 2021 parlance. But really productive catcher, really highly thought of. He's the type of guy that if he does not get drafted in a place that, that he sees fit to sign, uh, you know, he's the type of guy that I think there could be a lot of competition over in the transfer portal because uh, he's really, really talented guy and catchers who can mash are in uh, short order and he, he looks the part physically. So, you know, that, that's a guy to watch. They also have a, a nice lefty named Colin Scanlon, who is, you know, is a senior. So maybe he just kind of moves on or maybe he goes into pro ball kind of regardless. Cause he's been on campus a little bit longer than Levin's, but there are a couple players there that, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're a fan of some other program in the region, uh, might provide an opportunity for, uh, you, you know, your, your roster to get an influx of talent with those guys if they choose to return to college baseball after the program uh, ends up going by the wayside after the 21 season.
1: Yeah, that'll uh, certainly be something to track. Uh, I believe those players can get eligibility for the spring if they were to transfer immediately. Uh, this is a little bit of an unusual time to be cutting a program, but, Again, LaSalle is cutting far more than baseball here. So kind of in these larger restructurings, the fall is kind of a more traditional time to, to make a, a bigger cut like that. Um, usually we'd see it in the spring, but, you know, again, it's, it, it's, a, it's an unusual year. And, and if you're making a, you know, these department-wide changes, those kinds of Things tend to come down the pipe just whenever they come down the pipe. Um, so that's something to, to track, uh, both in terms of Transfer Portal, in terms of LaSalle, um, and, and just in terms of the, the 2020 year, the, the effects this year is having on college athletics and specifically the, the baseball programs. I believe now with this fourth program getting cut, um like well as a sport it will be neutral after this season uh they we added some new teams coming up from division two this year and now with four programs going out or maybe this makes it negative one i guess this will make it negative one but then st thomas has already declared its intention to reclassify from division three so overall still uh still going to be be neutral uh, we'll we'll see what continues to transpire in in this kind of space. Uh, as uh, colleges continue to to grapple with some of the the financial realities uh, that the 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 pandemic has has wrought. Um, so yeah, that if you're if you're interested in finding out more, there's a little bit more on on the website, but just something to uh, to track here in the a ten as this will be LaSalle's final season uh with baseball program. All right, let's uh let's shift gears. Let's get to Long Beach State coach Eric Valenzuela. The dirtbags were one of 2020's great stories before the season was cut short. They started the year with uh some really loud series wins against uh Wake Forest, Cal, and Mississippi State. Uh, you know, it just a, a really impressive start to the season racing into the top twenty five after uh a couple very disappointing seasons for the dirtbags. This was Eric Valenzuela's first season and and they were off to uh, just a flying start. And so, I mean, we're already excited to see what he could do with the program. Now, you know, that, that this just ratcheted that up a a little bit further, I think, just seeing what, what they were able to accomplish uh, so quickly in 2020. Now, what, what they'll be able to do uh, moving forward becomes you know, even more interesting as, as they look to uh, compete with the likes of Fullerton and, and Santa Barbara there at the top of the big west. So lots to talk about with Eric Valenzuela, and we'll get right into that after a word from my bookie. It's October, and at My Bookie, that can only mean one thing. It's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, survivor, and more. At MyBookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Bet NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, UFC, NFL, and then some. The craziest sports October of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your intuition. Select from hundreds of future bets, or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Use promo code BASEBALLAMERICA. It's all one word, BASEBALLAMERICA, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today, only at myBookie. And remember, use the promo code Baseball America, to double your first deposit. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we are very happy to be joined by Long Beach State coach Eric Valenzuela, the Dirtbags, coming off of an impressive shortened 2020 season. Uh, one of the surprise teams in the country off to a, a sensational start before that season got canceled in Coach Valenzuela's first year. Uh, coach, let's just start there with the the way 2020 was going for you guys you know did you uh you know, what, what was it what was clicking for the dirt bags
3: yeah no hey thank you guys for having me i pumped to be here um yeah you know what <laughs> obviously a, a lot of emotion is, is uh going into this 2020 season i mean it's our first you know coming from st mary's college uh, which was awesome a great experience for my staff and i to come into this program with so much history, tradition, you know, so many great players, great teams, great coaches, Um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an expectation, you know, that surrounds this uh, program for sure in the history of it. So uh, coming in, you know, I know that the past couple years before had been, had been tough. Um, You know, we were coming in to, you know, to, to share, you know, uh, what we do and, and, um, and how we do it. And, and it, it was great. I mean, the fan support was unbelievable. Um, you know, when we got here, the players uh, took us in; they were great, um, and it was just—you know—it it was a good start. Um, I mean, we had a long ways to go. Uh, we started the uh, season off with playing an unbelievable schedule, and um, you know, it was just—it was a glimpse into—to hopefully what the—you know—the expectation and the demands are of this program. And so, you know, it ended; it was short, um, but I think. Uh, in that short amount of time, there was definitely a standard that was set from our older guys um, to our younger guys and beyond that with this new recruiting class that's in.
1: Coming into the season, you know, in, in preseason practices in January and February, did you get the sense uh, that those guys were were ready to go from the get-go, that this might be something special, or did that just kind of build over time as, as the games began?
3: I think the, what's good, you know, about – you know changes is, is never easy right when there's a new coaching staff uh, coming in you know, you think about the players and you think about You know um, them mentally, you know, so it's never easy, but I think what What was best for it is some of these guys kind of needed a fresh start um, And the good thing is we came in, you know, I mean obviously we did homework on our On our roster and the guys that were coming back, but I mean it was a clean slate It was like hey, you know, we're, we're all here, you know, none of these we haven't coached you you know, you could have been the starting shortstop or you could have been on the bench and never played and, and you guys are the same. I mean, we're just going to go into this with a blind eye and we're going to work hard and grind it. Um, and really quickly, we found out that, uh, I mean, the previous coaching staff did such a great job of, of recruiting these guys, man. I mean, these guys were very talented, um, you know, physical, fast, you know, very good uh, on the mound. And so, you know, from a, an ability standpoint, um, they did a phenomenal job of that. And we just, you know, we just did our thing. I mean, we felt like, you know I think what first and foremost had to come in was was them to trust us, you know, that we know, we understand that during this transition time it's gonna to be tough, but you know, to buy in and and um um and we're gonna to come together and, and just let their talent play and, and uh so you know I, I felt like definitely wasn't a talent. I felt like man we, we're very talented we just gotta put this thing together and and these guys got to pick up some things really fast. I think you know, when you're in a program and, you know, at St. Mary's, we were there for six years. I mean, once you get past that first or second year, everything kind of rolls, right? When you're talking about, you know, team defense stuff and signs and you're just your culture, you know, it's really easy to just kind of bring in the new freshmen and JC transfers in and just kind of teach them the ropes because everything just kind of flows. But when you're turning, you know, when you come into a new program and you have to start from scratch and put everything in, um, you know, it's difficult, but Again, um, it was very exciting for us, and and to do it with such a phenomenal group of of older guys and and um, and very talented, you know, new recruits. It was it was uh, it was a lot of fun.
2: Aside from just the results on the field, I'm curious what you and your staff learned in your first year, either about yourselves as coaches or about what it's going to take to win at a high level at Long Beach that you might not have known necessarily going into the job.
3: Well, you know, I, I always felt like no matter where we are, we, we we kind of do it in a way where we're coaching these guys from the ground up, meaning, you know, we're assuming that they know nothing, you know, and we really have to focus on developing these guys. I mean, you can have some really talented players, but if they don't play the game correctly um, and you don't guide them and and coach them up, I mean, it doesn't matter how talented you are. And so when we were at St. Mary's and at the previous places that I've been at, I mean, you, you, uh, yes, we had very, very talented players at the top, but, you know, a lot of guys were, you know, especially at St. Mary's, some guys were overlooked in the recruiting process. Some guys were, you know, we may have been the only program that was recruiting them. So we took a lot of pride in the development of our players and, and playing good baseball. You know, we had to. Um, yes, we had some talented guys. I mean, you're looking at, you know, the the postseason with Tony Gonsolin and, and Corbin Burns. So we had some really talented players at St. Mary's, but you really had to coach up, you know, the the second half of guys and make them into really good baseball players and play together as a team. And I felt like, man, if we could just, you know, if we can do, we're going to do the same thing here with just a number of talented players and get them to play the game the right way, play hard, uh, play like dirtbags, you know, um, that's what we were excited about coming in here. Just the amount of talent um, and obviously the amount of talent that we can get and recruit moving forward has just been, uh, I mean, super exciting. And, and uh, man, I know we're in tough times right now, but I can't wait to get back on the field with these guys and, and get it going again.
1: You going to Lawn Beach, the dirt bags, you know, they're just, it's such an iconic baseball brand, um, you know, especially for anyone in Southern California where you grew up. Um, so what kind of was, what was your experience with Lawn Beach? You know, when you were growing up around the game, obviously you end up at Pepperdine. Uh, but, you know, th- w- how much did, did that aura or, or that brand, you know, what, what resonated with you about Long Beach and the dirtbags, uh, both of that, that era and then as you, you know, continued with your career and got into coaching. And, and then we saw some of the other stars like a, a Tulowitzki or a Longoria come through there.
3: Yeah, I mean being born and raised in Southern California and, and in the San Gabriel Valley, um, you know, it, it's obviously Long Beach State is just one of those story programs. Um, you know, the Omaha trips and and just amount of major leaguers and great, you know, great teams and great coaches. That's always a, you know, it's a destination for for a stud Southern California player. Um, and so when when you know this this opportunity came up, I mean you can't be I mean, there's not a lot of places like it on the west coast that that has a following and that's one of the things that we saw you know immediately was how much passion you know not only the alums and you know the previous teams and coaches but just this whole community how much passion they have i mean long beach is like i mean it's like a, a state in its own you know i mean it's, it's um, and they have so much for when you come in this program and you're coaching it and you're playing here that you know that is high and and you know we we're definitely uh you know we're definitely up for the challenge uh, for that uh, and just as a young kid you see this program um you know you there's a sense of toughness there's a sense of great ball There's I mean, fans play playing in a beautiful facility um you know, it's a great school it's a great location all of those things come into play and as a coach i mean you're I mean, I'm just blessed to be here and blessed for this opportunity.
2: You mentioned, um, you know, being excited for you to get into into practice, and then the 2021 season coming along. Got a couple key pieces from last year's team gone now. Adam Seminarius, L.J. Jones, we're both getting their opportunities in pro ball now. But what has you most excited to get back in 2021? What are you looking forward to?
3: Well, I think the excitement is is that. You know, what we were able to do in such a short time, um, you know, our guys felt like, and seriously, we felt like we just, we hadn't even hit our stride yet. I felt like we played good baseball, but we could have played a lot better, I think, as a team in whole, pitching wise, offensively, defensively. So, um, I think there's a lot of excitement from the older guys or the returners coming in. Um, that want more of that um and and then from the young guys i think just in that short amount of time those 15 games i think there was you know when you're a young guy a new guy in this program and you see what happened previous there's an expectation not that there wasn't before but now you're walking into a place that it's a top 25 program and now it's like yeah, this is the real deal and so that's what's exciting about it. We have some great, great pieces of of returners coming back. Um, you know, I feel really good uh, all the way around. Um, I think the the problem, not and it's a good problem to have, is um, you know our roster is big, and um, you know, and, and so it's going to be my job and our job as coaches to manage it correctly, um, and to get uh get everybody involved and, and keep everybody involved. So that's going to be the challenge. We do have a lot of talented players. Um, and it's just going to be our job to kind of to manage it right
1: Blair field is one of the iconic baseball venues especially out on the west coast it is also you know one of the bigger pitcher parks in in the country Does that factor into the way you want to play or the kinds of players you recruit at all is that is that a consideration at all or, or do you just do you guys kind of just you know, work with, work with whatever the dimensions you have out there?
3: Well, that's a great question. And, and, you know, we've really, when we got here, we really had to kind of think about how we were going to go about this. I mean, obviously you're, you're recruiting. um, I mean, a lot of people want to come to school here, especially in the, on the West coast. I mean, it's a great place to go to school. Like I said, and play baseball. Um, You know, I think from a pitching standpoint, we've always, we've always recruited the same type of guy, a guy that's going to fill up the strike zone. I mean, I think that's first and foremost, um, you know, I always, um, you know, it's, it's a guy that can, can, can command the zone um, way more than any than stuff. I mean, now, obviously, we want a guy that can command the zone and have, you know, legit stuff. Um, but that – and that plays everywhere, but especially here, right? I mean, you're pitching in a ballpark that's huge. You know, you can throw 98 miles an hour if you're not throwing strikes and you're walking guys, getting behind guys. I mean, that's not going to help in a big park. So strike throwers are key. You know from an offensive side of things you know i love it because you know coach brian peters i mean he is to me he is the best you know offensive coach in the country and it's a it's kind of a um it's kind of i'm not going to say gorilla ball but it is it is swinging it is playing for big innings it's driving balls in the gaps and over the fence and you know when you're out there and you're talking to recruits about blair field you know you're going to get you know other coaches or you're going to get other people talking about wow man it's not an offensive park and I mean, you look at the big leaguers that have been out of here. I mean, those, those a lot of them are offensive guys. If you can hit here, you can hit anywhere. And um, I just, uh, again, from an offensive side of things, I mean, we're looking for guys that are physical, guys that want the challenge of playing in this ballpark. And uh, um, so, as it changed? I mean, you know, Coach Peters, uh, you know, likes a certain offensive guy, um, you know, that could do some things, uh, being physical, being fast. And then from a pitching standpoint, you know, and obviously defensive standpoint, me as the head coach, but also doing the pitching 100%. Um, you know, I really want to be good defensively and pitchers have to throw strikes. I mean, that's the command issue. The, the command part of it is the biggest thing for me.
2: I wanted to ask you a quick question about scheduling. And I guess I'll first say, let's throw out just the, the whole idea that we're not sure exactly what, you know, 2021 is going to look like from a scheduling standpoint. Let's just talk about kind of a typical year. One of the philosophies that you see a lot, not just at places like Long Beach, but just generally on the West Coast, is an attitude of playing a difficult schedule and, and trying to, to challenge your team out of conference. I'm curious what your philosophy just generally is. I know at St. Mary's you've had good schedules. Last year, obviously, tough schedule with a series against Mississippi State and non-conference, but uh, what are you and your staff looking to do with your schedule every year?
3: Well, I think it changes from year to year. Um, you know, we're going to – we definitely want to – but just like everybody else, I think we – want to play the best of the best I think you know we had challenges at st. Mary's just because you know obviously if we wanted to play you know the power five schools or whatever we most of the time almost hundred percent of the time we had to get on the road and do that and that was fine but you know those are tough environments to play in um, and we enjoyed it um, but you got to be smart as well I mean you got to make sure that you understand what team you have with the young team if it's a uh, um, if it's an older team I mean you got to be strategic about it obviously you're you're scheduling for the RPI, you're scheduling for, um, you know, I mean, all of these things. And 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 so I look at it from year to year and kind of just see how we're set up, not to say that we're not going to challenge ourselves when we're young and, and whatever, but, but just to be strategic, um, you know, as well as, uh, you know, really challenging on the West Coast with the RPI thing and kind of seeing you know, I mean, common opponents and all of these type of factors that come into play—it's challenging. And but this place, you know, I mean, we're we're expected to have an, an unbelievable schedule. I mean, SEC, ACC, Pac-12, big-time programs going there, getting them back at Blair. Um, so those those things will never change. Um, it's just going to be, a, you know, it's just again, it's just a matter of scheduling smart um, and um, and challenging our players and and getting them ready for, you know, obviously the the unbelievable Big West Conference. And so again, I, you know, there's definitely, like I said, the expectation is huge. You play the best of the best. This is, I feel, you know, the Big West is a power five baseball conference and that's what's expected. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a lot of fun. I mean, to play Wake Forest and Mississippi State, I mean, is, uh, is awesome, you know, Cal and Washington. I mean, it, it's been a lot of fun for sure.
1: You, uh, you mentioned St. Mary's where you were previously, and, and while you were there, you had uh, Corbin Burns and Tony Gonsolin. Of course, Burns got hurt and wasn't able to pitch in the playoffs, but those guys both played big parts on, on playoff teams. Burns is probably going to factor in the NL Cy Young Award debate, um, and, and Gonsolin uh, is, is up there in the rookie of the year debate. Just what was it like watching those two guys uh, this year have the success they had on the biggest stage?
3: I mean, it is, it is so fun. I'm so proud of those guys. I text those guys all the time. And, I mean, it brings tears to my eyes just to, to really see how far those guys have come along. I mean, I remember them, you know, early in their college career and, and how many, you know, obstacles um, that they had to overcome and we all had to overcome. I mean, those guys, and I say this to them and, and I say this to those other guys that were there during those times. I mean, those guys put St. Mary's baseball on the map. Um, they really did. And, um, I can't thank those guys enough for, for, um, you know, all their, uh, everything that they've done and, and, you know, not only coaching them, but the friendship that we have, you know, beyond that as well. And, um, Hey, I, I, again, it was so much fun watching them pitch all year long. It's so much fun to communicate with them, even to this, you know, to this day and during playoffs and stuff. So again, I'm a proud coach. Um, I feel like, you know, these guys are my sons, you know, and, and, um, um, because it's not just about the baseball part of it. I mean, we've been, been through a lot, um, you know, from um, from a different kind of role as well, being in the classroom and off the field and those type of things. And so just to see them grow up as men and just uh, be able to pitch at the highest level um, that we all, you know, that all these guys dream about being, it's, it's, uh, it's been so so great.
2: Consulins kind of an interesting case, right? I mean, he comes to you and, you know, at least especially early on is, is more of a contributor – Uh, as a hitter than he is on the mound and and he continued to be an effective two-way guy, but that the pitching piece later in his career really started to take off. And I imagine has to be a particular point of pride of of yours to see the way he's kind of developed. And now uh, you know, I don't know if if you thought he had this in him to become what what he has become, but I'm certainly it seems like he's come a long way from from being the guy that was a little more hitter than pitcher when he arrived at St. Mary's.
3: Well they both had different paths, that's for sure. I mean when we got here, you know, Corbin, you know, an undrafted uh low scholarship you know type of player from bakersfield who had a big arm but it was really raw um and it just you know it took time for him i mean i think he had like almost a seven era as a freshman um you know we sent him out to the hamptons after his freshman year in the summer he comes back he's confident Um, he has a good sophomore year and then goes to the cape he goes to the cape because we were we had a kid named uh cam neff Cameron Neff who was supposed to go to the Cape in Orleans um but he had pitched a lot of innings and we shut him down and they gladly they took Corbin instead um and he goes out there and, and he deals and then obviously the you know here he is. Tony was a different path. We came in and I mean he hadn't even we didn't even know he pitched. I mean he was an outfielder and we were really thin the first year we got here or get got to St. Mary's really thin on the mound and he had said you know, he pitched in high school. We put him on the mound, and he had electric stuff. It was just raw. It was an outfielder that was pitching. You know, but I think that helped him as well because I, you know, I believe that these two-way guys sometimes. I mean, when pitching is like a like their fun portion of baseball, they just they go out there with no pressure and they have fun and they and they, um, you know, they, they pitch with a different mentality. You know, and so till the last day, until I mean, draft day for Tony, um, I mean, he was convinced. That he was going to get drafted as an outfielder and i was telling him man your stuff is really good on the mound I, i'm i'm saying that you're going to be a pitcher and he'd say, coach no I, I'm, I'm a major league outfielder i said okay the dodgers draft him and sure enough as a pitcher and i mean uh now look at him you know and he also can hit too i mean i'm hoping that they don't change that dh rule for uh for everybody because he can really hit as well
2: I mean I'm sure he's I'm sure he's excited about that too. If there's one thing I know about pitchers who they all they all think they can hit. And he might he's, he is one who can actually hit, but even if they can, all pitchers think they can.
3: Well, let's not forget the the first game of our of our 2016 regional, we were at the North Carolina State regional, and we faced first game we faced Coastal Carolina, who ended up winning the World Series that year. Corbin's on the mound, and the first run of the game in the first inning with two outs, the three-hole hitter up is Tony Gonslin. He hits a home run. We go up one nothing against Coastal, so that's a pretty, uh, pretty crazy story. You know, we ended up losing that game. It was a war. It was a great game. Uh, we lose that game, and then uh, obviously Coastal has has that uh, unbelievable run to win the College World Series.
1: You know, growing up where where you grew up, I, I'm sure you were a Dodgers fan. Does that make that you know any more special now that you can see what he can do for the the hometown team of yours? Absolutely. I mean,
3: I have to. I have to be good, though, because remember, the Angels were at where the long Blairfield was <laughs> yes, the alternate yes. site, you know, so we've built a really good relationship with the Angels and their whole their whole organization. But yeah, I mean, growing up as a Dodger fan. Um, but you know what? I mean, all these coaches would say the same thing. I mean, whatever. If you coach these guys in college and and uh, you have relationships, you're I'm a Brewer fan. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm a I'm a Seattle Mariner fan with Ty France, you know, who was able to regum uh, a padre fan with greg allen you know i mean it's it's uh they're like your sons i mean if and that's that's how we've always had relationships with our players like that and 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 so yes but i mean dodgers are are i mean born and raised dodger fan and to have tony wear that dodgers logo across his chest is pretty cool
1: you uh your dad is a boxing coach there in the area as well and and so I'm, I'm curious what what are the crossovers between boxing and baseball are, are you able to you know given your background are you able to draw on anything from boxing? hundred percent
3: I, I think uh, you know I always I, I mention him a lot because uh, he's a coach and he's done it forever. Um, it's a different type of coaching that he does I mean he's saving lives I mean he's getting kids off the street that that uh, he's, he's taking him away from, you know, prison and, and, you know, even even worse than that. And so, um, you know, I, I use a lot of, of his teachings and his mentality to our players. I always have. Um, and I just think it brings a, a different type of toughness. I think it's it's at times what separates us from others. And, and that's what we're always trying to look for, I think, as coaches, is what how are we going to be different than anywhere? How are we going to be different than Fullerton? How are we going to be different than... USC, UCLA, I mean, and so that's what I think as coaches, what you're always trying to trying to do. And I think this is where we're different. I think we've, you know, with this mentality that we have, um, you know, this boxing kind of Tyson mentality, as we call it, I think it's different, you know, than anybody else. And I think where they kind of gel a little bit is, you know, I explained to my guys that, um, you know, it's the preparation of it. You know, I talk about baseball and being prepared, Um, We have to prepare like boxers. I mean, when it's all said and done, you can, if you're not prepared in boxing, I mean, you can, it it causes a lot of, it it can cause pain. It can cause physical pain if you're not prepared. Um, When it comes to baseball, we have to have that same mentality, you know, from an individual standpoint and as a team. Um, And just the fact that, you know, I've been able to take my team to my dad's gym and and, uh, work out and, and uh, go through some team bonding and stuff like that has been uh, has been awesome, and I think they they love it. I mean, they love it. Um, they're they're all about it. We talk a lot about, um, you know, I show them clips about you know uh, boxing clips about comebacks and about you know just that mentality and their body language and how they train and um, all of those things come into play. And I feel like that's our difference. I feel like that that's if that's expected you know from your team and it's expected it's coming out of your coach's mouth over and over again that is definitely going to translate to the baseball field we are going to be tough we are going to play hard we're going to play with a little chip on our shoulder and we're going to be mean and and um i think that's mentality and that's the mentality that is bred when you're a dirtbag as well you know and i think that's that's where um it's a good fit you know i feel like it, you know the, the history and tradition of this program is built on that. And we want to help take it to the next level. I mean, that's that's uh, um, that's what we're here to do. And and again, uh, yes, I, I I love the man. He's he's a he's a mean old man, but he's uh, you know he he again he's he's my mentor. He's my everything, and uh, uh, it's been uh, yeah, it's, it, he's really helped me become the coach that I am for sure.
2: You know, I'll make a little bit of an assumption here that with your dad being a boxing coach, you've seen, um, you know, you, you, you've you seen a, a boxing match or two in your life. And I'll, I'll put you on the spot a little bit and, and ask for a little bit of a comp. You know, there's the, the dirtbag style of of baseball. And that that obviously is a, is a very um, a famous brand, like we talked about earlier. Is there someone in the, you know, famous or otherwise, someone in the world of boxing that you recall watching that you think is is a dirtbag in that same way? However you define that in the, in the boxing, I'd be curious if, if there's a boxer out there that you think could step on the baseball field and, and bring that type of mentality, um, but just in the ring?
3: Well, I think um, yeah, that's an awesome question. I mean, my favorite boxer of all time is marvelous Marvin Hagler. And even to the point where my I have a boxer dog who's 18 months and his name is Hagler. Um, but, um, I mean – I show him a lot of clips, you know, I show him Diego Corrales, who's a, who's a boxer. He actually passed away in a motorcycle accident, but you talk about a warrior, you talk about a guy who, I mean, there's a clip of, of if, I mean, if you go on YouTube and you watch the 10th round of Diego Corrales and, um, and um, uh, Castillo, um, Jose Luis Castillo, there's a 10th round where he gets uh, where Diego Corrales gets knocked down twice and he's out. Um, And then, and then he he lands a left hook and buckles them and then comes in and ends up stopping them with with about 30 seconds left and i mean i show that clip every single year to my to my uh to my guys just about just never quit never give up um keep punching um that is that's my favorite clip of in on youtube um is that one for sure but i mean we have things like we call it tyson mentality i don't know if you've seen our the back of our helmets but i give these guys you know i mean You look at Ohio State football and Michigan, they have all those stickers on their helmets. We give out stickers that have a Mike Tyson face on it with a tattoo with his tattoo face on there. And that is our stickers that we call Tyson mentality. So, you know, Coach Peters, we have all these different, you know, offensive categories that, you know, two out RBI hit, you know, all these different kind of categories that we have that you earn these stickers and you put them on your helmet. And and it's a picture of Mike Tyson. It's not like a, you know, it's not a, 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 you know, a symbol of the college, you know, that other programs have. It's Mike Tyson face. Um, so again, you know, I, I don't know. It's just something that, that, that we do. It's something that we enjoy. It's something that the boys love and, and that makes them feel a little bit different than others.
1: How far did you take boxing? W- was there ever a time where you thought you were going to do that and not baseball?
3: I did. And to this day, it's my favorite sport. I mean, I hate to say that being the baseball coach, but you know, as a young guy, always being at the gym with my dad and and um, even to this day, my sons, you know, we have a we have a, a slight gym in our garage, you know, that I work out. My boys I uh, have twins that are 10 years old and we work out all the time that it's my love. I mean, it's just like anything. I'm a baseball coach and my, you know, my twin boys, they love baseball. Right. I mean, their their dad is a coach and they uh, come with me to the field and, you know, I'm, Um, You know, I help him. we work out all the time. So it's the same thing. I mean, I was at the gym since I could when I was a baby, you know, being around my dad and, you know, he He was so good at his job. I mean, even to this day, he's had world champions. He was, you know, an assistant, uh, you know, in the 84 Olympics, um, you know, and and, um, so you know, he's done the amateur thing. He's had amateurs, he's had pros, um, you know, and just being able to, to be there and train and, and be with them. I mean, he wanted something different for me. You know, I, I think in his eyes, you know, boxing was, was, uh, you know, it was kids that were, he was saving, getting off the streets and, and having them, you know, teaching them discipline and teaching them, uh, you know, responsibility with me. I mean, his ultimate goal was, was, you know, for me to go to college, you know, and, and there was no baseball in my background at all. And, and just happened to, you know, I mean, at some point be a pretty good baseball player, but boxing was, I mean, that was always my love, man. That was, that was it. And even to this day, um, it is, it's my love and, and I love it. And it just, it, that's my hobby, you know, golf for people, um, you know, different hobbies, me it's, it's boxing for sure.
2: We'll wrap up here with uh, what, what Teddy has described as the most important question we've been asking all of our guests, probably the last five or six we've had on, so we'll, we'll pose it to you. Uh, describe to us your favorite sandwich.
3: Ooh, pastrami sandwich from The Hat is my favorite. You ever heard of The Hat? No, I haven't actually,
1: is yeah, that, is that the out hat. there? I,
3: I, yeah, Southern California. I don't know if it goes beyond Southern California or maybe the state of California in whole, but it's called The Hat. So next time you're at a uh, at Blair field watching the dirt bags we're gonna get you a pastrami sandwich from the hat
2: that sounds like a plan I'm, I'm, I'm down for I, lo- I I like sandwiches that are kind of in that um, that Italian mold you know with things like pastrami and and salami yeah. and, and things like that
3: it's, it's a little it's heavier not, sandwich but it's, it's not it's good. I was just gonna say that it's not healthy one bit
0: but <laughs> it is, but, it, but, it, but it
3: is very I mean you think sandwich you're thinking like tuna healthy you know no 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 Pastrami sandwich, yeah, you're, you're, you won't be hungry for a month.
2: Yeah, yeah, it'll be well worth it, though, in the end. For sure.
1: <laughs> like uh, like Joe said, that's uh, that's as important as we get here. You know, we, we talk a lot about baseball, but when it, when it comes right down to it, the, the sandwiches, that, that's what we really want to hear about. Uh, that's awesome, guys. Well, Coach, we really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, you know, we're excited to see what the dirtbags look like in 2021. It was uh, such a great start to 2020. I wish we could have seen it finish. but We'll be excited to uh to follow along next spring when you guys are, are back out on the diamond
3: for sure yep and i know it's been a challenge for everybody and and you know i mean some schools are starting and some schools aren't and you know it's going to be a challenging 2021 but like i told my players i mean it's it's uh this is great and let's make it a great story in the end you know let's let's uh you know we haven't been able to do anything you know on the field and we may not be able to do anything on the field till january and when other teams are, and let's just make it a great story. Let's, you know, let's think back to the time when we weren't doing anything and others were, and we're going to find a way to be successful and win. So we're excited and I appreciate you guys having me.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Thanks guys. Thanks again to Long Beach state coach, Eric Valenzuela for joining us here on the baseball America college podcast. Uh, Joe, really interesting stuff all around. there a lot, a lot of directions we could go in. There's Long Beach State stuff. There's the, the, the pro ball stuff. There's the boxing stuff. Um, so I'll let you, uh, take it where where you want to take it as, uh, uh, you know, from what Erica said during that interview.
2: Yeah, I think it certainly hammers home the fact that, uh, you know, if, if you're, uh, You know, if if you're someone out there, if you're, you know, maybe an umpire, like in some sort of argument, if you're a player who's feeling (laughs) himself like you don't want to step to Eric Valenzuela, man, guy has a boxing gym in his house, grew up in a boxing family. Um, You know, that that, that's not a guy you want to step to because, you know, his hands are gonna be quicker than yours. That's just the way that works. His hands are gonna be quicker. But uh, I joke, of course, because he, you know, he's, uh, you know, I say this, mean this sincerely, one of the one of the nicest guys in the game, um, one of the most fun guys to talk to um always enjoy chatting with him he's just got a got a good attitude and he has a good sense of humor and and really is is willing to uh you know kind of go you know we're we're a podcast that kind of veers from side to side on topics sometimes and you know he's the type of guy who's really willing to to go with that so it was cool to to do that with him i i'm excited about what we saw with long beach in 2020 um you know i'm excited obviously to see it again in twenty twenty one potentially but i think just generally i'm really excited about the idea of Long Beach, uh, you know, getting back to a place where it's been in the past. We've we've seen little windows of it. You know, obviously there was 2017 where they were just one win away from getting back to Omaha and, and talk about things that seem like so long ago when you consider so much has happened in the Long Beach program since then. But it wasn't that, wasn't that long ago, but that was just a little window. But getting back to a place where Long Beach is a consistent contender in the Big West and nationally year after year, I think would be, it's a little bit of an overused phrase, like, you know, college baseball or, enter whatever sport here is better when x team is is good and I think sometimes that gets overplayed but for me personally I think college baseball is better when Long Beach State is good and I think part of that is it gives Fullerton a foil in the Big West which I think is good for Fullerton to have a foil in the Big West I also think it makes the West Coast a little more competitive and puts some good teams outside of just the Pac-12 plus Fullerton so I think there's that as well and and look I mean you talked about it a little bit with them you asked him the question about the iconic Long Beach brand. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, but it, it really is just on the, you know, on the short list of just the coolest college baseball brands. I, I did not grow up in Southern California. I grew up halfway across the country and I had friends who, you know, my friend group was pretty into college baseball. That's how I started with this. And yes, there were a lot of UT hats and A&M hats. And at that time in particular, a lot of rice hats, but beyond that, there might've been more Long Beach hats than anything else. You know, it was just a cool hat to have. the the LB the interlocking LB is just an iconic symbol in college baseball. And so there's just something about Long Beach being good that's for me more exciting about college baseball. And it's just it's just cool to have Long Beach be good. And some of that is nostalgia, sure. I'll I'll, I'll grant you that for me personally. But um, but I do believe that it is better for the West Coast in college baseball in general if we have Long Beach really humming and clicking on all cylinders. And at least with what we saw in 2020, it seems like maybe it's it's heading that way under Allen's
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any need to to downplay that. In this case, I think it's dead on. College baseball is better with a good Long Beach. And if you want evidence of that, just look at the 2017 Super Regional that they hosted against Fullerton. Now, I mean, obviously that's a, a huge rivalry, just their regular season home and aways are really good series, but you know, they absolutely packed out Blair. I remember the ESPN cameras love showing this guy that like had brought a ladder so that he could like get a better vantage point from uh, somewhere up one of the, the baselines. Like that looked like an absolutely great time for a college baseball game. And, you know, so if, if the game can get more weekends like that, you know, obviously, that's that's just good for everyone involved. It's you know best for the dirt pegs and, and and their fans. But if you can have that kind of thing going on, I don't care what part of the country it is. You know, that's you want those programs to be as engaged as possible. And then when you, you know, add in the the history that Long Beach provides, um, when you think about the big leaguers that have come through there the fact that they play at, at Blair field, this, uh, again, the, you know, one of the iconic college baseball stadiums, it it really becomes, uh, a much bigger thing that that program be able to, uh, to come out and compete at at as high a level as they possibly can. And, you know, Joe's went pretty deep into the big West and why the big West isn't, hasn't been quite as good the last few years. And like, what's it gonna take for them to to come back and and all the rest of that. And ignoring what this might or might not mean for, for the Big West, just, it would be great uh, to get that kind of excitement around the program on a much more consistent basis than what we've seen it for the last 15 or so years.
2: Yeah, I don't, so this, what I'm about to say is not to disparage, certainly not to disparage UCLA, because I think you'll find no greater uh, advocate for John Savage and what he has done with that program, and just year after year after year after year losing guys, but just continuing to to plug guys in, and it it seems like they really do just just reload. So they are operating on a higher level than any other program uh, on the West Coast, save I guess Oregon State. Well, that's like a different discussion because they they are way up in the Pacific Northwest. But so I don't know exactly what I mean by this, but to me. Long Beach and Fullerton, when those programs are good and when that rivalry is really hot, that's kind of the heart and soul of West Coast baseball to me. And again, I don't know what I mean by that, but I feel that and I I, I believe that. And some of it I think is the, there's not a lot of glamour, even though it is Southern California, there's not a lot of glamour there. Blairfield is a historic facility. um, That does not mean it's the most plush facility. It's kind of the same thing at Goodwin at Fullerton. These are not SEC level palaces in college baseball they typically recruit hyper locally with guys who aren't necessarily the big name guys out on the west coast they're developing guys they have a specific type of player I think that all goes into it but I just I think that is kind of the heart and soul of west coast college baseball those two programs going at it like they do and both being good and
3: competing to go to Omaha
1: Yeah, I'm like, I get where you're coming from. Um, I don't know that I would use those exact words, but the, the rivalry that exists out there is a fantastic one. And, you know, to see what, you know, Long Beach State can become under Eric Valenzuela, who took a program at St. Mary's that was, I mean, to say it was an afterthought, would be maybe overstating how good it was. Uh, you know, they'd never been to the NCAA tournament, and you know, he made them very much relevant within the West Coast Conference. Uh, took them to the NCAA tournament, and you know, produced you know some big league stars just in in a few short years there. To to have that, you know, the the energy that created that now coming down to Long Beach, I it has the potential to really. Uh, you know become something special there and so i'm i'm very interested to see where that goes i'm also struck by you know what he was saying uh just about the 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 time that they had at st mary's with uh with some of those guys i mean y- you think about what they had there in, in burns and gonzalen and and you know they they really had some special teams there that you know, it's, it's just remarkable to look up and and see an NL Cy Young award debate that's going to include Corbin Burns. It's probably going to be Trevor Bauer's award, but, you know, look for Corbin Burns to get a lot of votes. And, you know, we'll we'll see how the NL Rookie of the Year shakes out. That's a very complex award this year, but, you know, is going to be a big part of that. And, you know, he's, he's become a, a pretty important piece for the Dodgers. And, it's just interesting to hear. I'm not surprised to hear, but that right up until the very end, you know, he thought he was going to be a big league outfielder and now he's, he's found his home on the mound.
2: Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I found that story kind of funny too. It's, it's kind of, um, you know, it kind of speaks to, uh, you know, maybe it, it shows that, uh, you know, sometimes what a, sometimes what a player is best equipped to do at the next level is not necessarily what they what they want to do and I don't know if that was really the case with him necessarily but it sounded a little bit like Gonsolin was like nah, I'd really just like to hit and um so for his sake I don't you know for me personally I'm okay with the DH in both leagues but for his sake you know what I hope he gets to continue to hit because uh if he wanted to hit that bad in the big leagues I, I certainly hope he gets that chance and you know, we are in a little bit of a, a glory age for two-way players the big league level so you know maybe maybe there is an opportunity for him to do a little bit of that but yeah cool story and that those are the types of things that they did at st mary's you're right i mean afterthought is 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 probably giving them too much credit before eric valenzuela got there and i think if you're really looking for evidence of what they can build there um there are some times where you will get a coaching staff at a small school that that program gets hot very quickly and then they're out uh you know they're there a couple of years they have this big success with the first group of players that comes through and then you know they're on to the next job, and I don't begrudge them that. Um, but you just still are left with questions about okay, how sustainable is what you're doing here? You know, Valenzuela was and his staff at St. Mary's for a good long while, and you know once they got good, they they stayed good. Um, you know, the first year there was tough, but they finished over 500 every other year. After that, 30, you know, 28 wins, 33, 37, 31, 35 wins. I mean, those are those are good teams year after year. So they they clearly had put something into place that was repeatable year after year. And I think that really does bode well for what they can, what they can do at Long Beach now, because this was not a case of a coaching staff coming in, having success right away, which they did by the way, but then they didn't really necessarily just strike when the iron was hot and bounce. They stuck around and really built something there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he, uh, he's got a chance to to make Long Beach state into a, a very good program. Um, you know, just, raise it back to the level that I think a lot of people are accustomed to, to the dirt bags being, and it's not going to be an easy climb. There are a lot of reasons why, uh, long beach state has, has, uh, not been able to find some of that consistent success over the last decade. Uh, but I think there's a lot of reason to think right now that, that it could. And when you just then think about a potential big West race of, you know, long beach state, Santa Barbara, Fullerton, uh, Cal poly, you know, it, that that gets pretty exciting about what that, that kind of race could look like if all four of those schools uh, are able to click or even uh, another school joining that group, whether that's a Northridge or a Hawaii uh, or whoever, um, you know, that there's, a, there's a lot to like about what that, just the excitement that a Big West race involving those kinds of teams at the top of the standings, what, what that could mean.
2: Yeah, here, here. I'm, I'm certainly here for a um, competitive top to bottom Big West, and I, I think, um, you know, small samples with some of these guys who haven't been in these coaching positions long, but it, it seems like we're trending in that direction.
1: All right. So we mentioned it on the uh, in the interview there, the and, and before that, the Major League Baseball playoffs began last week with the wild card round, and as we always do, we went through. The, the rosters for all the playoff teams and totaled up who wh- which college programs had produced the most players uh, on MLB active playoff rosters, uh, that's something you only can find at Baseball America. Other places will talk about who has the most players on playoff teams, but that does not actually mean on playoff rosters. It just means like on 40-man rosters. So anyway, if you want to see who's actually playing in the playoffs, you have to, you have to come check out our list. And the answer this year for the first time in a couple of years, it had been Fullerton the last two years at least. Uh, But this year it is Vanderbilt and they had seven players active uh, on playoff rosters. And it's a pretty impressive group overall. Um, You know, right now Vanderbilt has, you know, some of the most play, they're close to the, the top of the list of just the most big leaguers. So it kind of stands to reason that then they would be, uh, at, at the top of this list as well. But you, know, you you start looking at some of the names and it's like Walker Bueller and Tony Kemp and um, Sonny Gray. And it, it's like really impactful players within Vanderbilt history. And now many of them are having really impactful uh, times in the big leagues, probably none more so than, than Walker Bueller, who is scheduled to be the uh, game one starter uh, for the Dodgers in the in the division series, it's just uh, another impressive moment for uh, for the Vanderbilt program, I suppose.
2: No doubt about that. Yeah, and it's 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 a list of guys that strikes me as a as a group. Not not all. I mean, there are some guys on on the list for them who have, who were in the program um, a generation prior, if you will, put it that way. But for the most part, it's a group of guys that I kind of think of as the guys who were starting to really come along and come in waves that culminated in Vanderbilt winning a national title in 2014 where you were starting to, you know, they were really, you know, in the immediate aftermath of that by the way, but they, they had really got to that point and program has been cooking for a good long while now, but, but it, it really got to a different level when it started to churn through. There was always some first round arm at the front of the rotation that has kind of continued to now where they've got, Oh, perhaps two of them. Um, but the guys who were on this list kind of struck me as those types of guys or or a guy like, you know, Tony Kemp, who was just a spark plug of a player whose numbers don't necessarily um, tell the whole story of what all he brought to that Vanderbilt program. I think Tim Corbin would tell you that. I think his teammates would tell you that. Now he did also win the SEC player of the year, which I had forgotten until you reminded me of that. Um, I would not have pegged Tony Kemp as an SEC player of the year guy, but um, sure enough, 2013, he was that guy. So um, yeah, it was uh, not a surprise to see Vanderbilt be on top of that list, especially when you start to look at, you know, the, the, the types of guys they have at this in this position in particular, the pitchers uh, who, who factor prominently uh, in that group. And then when we when we rank them for what came out this this Monday, those guys are near the top of the list of the of ranking the guys who are involved in the division series who are college stars.
1: Yeah, so let's uh, kind of transition to that list. Um, we went through. And we had this idea of like, okay, we, ha- we know who the pr- which programs produce the most talent, but who are the most talented individuals? And initially, I think Joe and I kind of set out to include all players from playoff rosters. And then we kind of realized that like, oh, the division series start on the day we're planning on releasing this list. Let's just actually focus on, on those players. So thereby we eliminated uh, like three players, of the year um from the list Trevor Bauer among them Matt Wieters is not a player of the year I don't have the list up in front of me if you couldn't tell but you know those those two guys I I remember you know move out of of the the list so we're we're still left with a a really solid, solid group uh topped by Mike Zanino who won the the player of the year uh you got guys like Swanson and Bregman and and George Springer and you know it's uh it's an interesting list to look at just when, when you consider the uh, the amount of talent that is still playing in the in the postseason that, that's playing on the biggest stage having you know big moments on the biggest stage and you know what they were able to accomplish in college just to look back at some of the highlights of that and, and what some of the, these players were able to do I don't know is it I found it to be an interesting exercise I know Joe actually did most of the, the hard work and looking up statistics and, and the like but it uh you know, just just being able to, to read through it is you know, it, it's it's a trip down memory lane for a lot of these guys, but it's also just a reminder of how good uh a lot of these players are in college baseball and then continue to be once they uh reach the big leagues. Yeah, I had
2: I had fun putting this together for a number of different reasons. And it's really not necessarily for the guys at the top of this list. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, we remember Mike Zanino was great, Bregman, yep, sure, Swanson, Springer, yep. But it's kind of the surprise. There were two things. The surprises of the guys that were higher on this list, than if you had just asked me roughly before I started this exercise, where in the top 25 would you have put this guy? There were a couple that stood out to me, one of whom was Drew Pomeranz, who comes in fifth on this list. If you'd have told me, based on his college career, he would come in ahead of two Vanderbilt guys, and Kyle Wright and Walker Bueller, and Garrett Cole in particular, I don't think I would have believed you. But I had really forgotten how good Drew Pomeranz was. I mean, 344 career strikeouts and 267 in 267 and a third innings. I mean, that's that's a pretty absurd strikeout number there. And uh, I did not expect we'd be looking at Drew Pomeranz in the top five, but but we were. And you know, another Mississippi guy, Jonathan Holder, in the top ten. I talk about dominant closers. My goodness. And he was really kind of that. You know, what what the major leagues have discovered in the last several years that college teams have known for a long time and that's that a closer doesn't have to be just the ninth inning guy. And Holder's kind of a classic example of that where, you know, he was a multi-inning guy. Sure, he collected a ton of saves, but he was really more of a bullpen ace than he was just a, strictly a closer. And those were two guys in the top 10 that I probably would not have pegged as top 10 guys.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I would agree definitely on Holder. Pomerantz, like, I don't know where I would have placed him. Uh, just mentally, but he is a guy that, you know, was a, a, a top five draft pick. So, uh, you know, you see that and I'm like, okay, it yeah, has to have been a really good college career. Uh, but then to see exactly how good it was, you know, that that's, um, it, it, it is a very, very impressive uh, career when you look back on it. And, you know, making this list also was, you know, you're asked to, you know, compare and contrast some different player types. You know, so Garrett Cole, of course, now one of the best players in the big leagues, was the first overall pick. but you know also has some numbers that are you know not elite uh, when when you look at his college career. Um, they're still very, very good and and he's very deserving of of being on this list in the top ten. but uh you know, you, you think about what Garrett Cole has become, and it's a, kind of easy to forget that, you know, it, you think about what he's become, you consider that he was the Friday starter for UCLA for two years, and that includes a year that they were the national runners-up. And, you know, it, it would be easy to think, like, oh, well, he was, like, this just incredible college pitcher, like, think Steven Strasburg's junior year for, like, three years or something and it wasn't quite like that. He needed some time to, to grow into who he's become. And, you know, you, you see some of these other guys, uh, you know, that have, have bigger careers over the the full four years or, and then you, you look at a guy like Hunter Renfro, um, who, you know, really needed the first two years to develop at Mississippi State before he could have the kind of breakout season that really showed how high his ceiling was. And, Um, You know, he continues to show that in the big leagues, but just interesting to, as as we kind of compared and, um, you know, tried to line up players like that, you know, I mean, you compare it with a guy like Tony Kemp, who was SEC freshman of the year, and then two years later, SEC player of the year, but, you know, is an atypical player himself, because he didn't hit for power, you know, it's a a speed average kind of player, but uh, the credentials were, were very impressive throughout Tony Kemp's uh, college career at, at Vanderbilt.
2: A couple of the other things that stood out to me as I put this list together, as I just kind of do the let's remember some guys thing here, were so one was, was Brett Gardner and specific to Brett Gardner, because he's not that anonymous a player. He's been on the Yankees forever and he's a well-known guy, but Matt Carpenter of the Cardinals gets held up rightfully so as kind of this great player development story of he was a, a fifth year player at TCU and he was a nice college player but he was never a superstar and then he gets into the into pro baseball and he he really kind of continually reinv- reinvents himself and, and becomes this super productive big leader well Brett Gardner is somewhat a similar story he was a four-year guy not a five-year guy but he had a slow start to his career at College of Charleston. He kind of started to put it together, and then by the time he was a senior, he hits 447 as a senior at College of Charleston. And so, uh, safe to say, he really figured it out. And that was, by the way, for those who who aren't well versed in the history of it, that was a really good college College of Charleston program back then. I mean, that was a he was gone for this, but in 06 they get to a, a super regional. They won something like 48 and 47 games his last two years there. So. Really good player on a really good team, obviously has turned into a really good big leaguer. There were also, you mentioned Hunter Renfro as having that one big breakout season. Arkansas pitcher Ryan Stanick was kind of the same thing where he was a nice arm his entire career at Arkansas, but he just went nuts his junior year and had like a one, I don't have his page here in front of me, but I think it was a 139 ERA his junior season, which is insane um and it's kind of a weird stat line because the era really stands out but his strikeout rate was good but not great and so perhaps a super analytically minded analyst would tell you that maybe he just had a lot of fatted ball luck um but i don't know you know i don't remember it well enough i remember him but i do not remember it well enough to really know whether that was the case or not we also weren't really thinking of things at the college level back then like that i mean we just looked at the era and said yeah really good which was was true but it would have been interesting to see that season through today's lens I guess is what I'm saying but 139 ERA will play regardless and the last guy is a guy who I will admit I had never heard of until I started doing this list and that was Ryan Thompson um, who yeah pitches for the Rays plays for Campbell played for Campbell Um, and his numbers were really off the charts good so he had two years there as a reliever in those two years he threw in his first year 71 and two-thirds innings all out of the bullpen his ERA was 088. The next year, he threw 88 innings, once again, all out of the bullpen, and he had an ERA of 133. And I get that, okay, it's Campbell, it's the it's the Big South, it's not the SEC or, or what have you, but I don't know, man, that, that's a lot of innings to have ERAs that low, two years in a row. So his career ERA is like hovering around one in a hundred, roughly 160 career innings. That was just an absurd stat line for a guy that I really didn't, like I said, I really didn't know, which was a kind of a cool little byproduct of doing this list is acquainting myself with some guys who, you know, I had never really uh, taken the time to examine.
1: Campbell is uh, becoming a, um, a very interesting player development place, uh, what they're able to accomplish, and, and just also on-field uh, success. You know, what they're able to accomplish under Greg Goff and what Justin Hare has continued there in Bowie's Creek um you know it's they're under the radar now uh maybe the noise they made in, in greenville a couple of years ago helped bring the program a little more notoriety but they uh they're a program to watch and you know the the as as they continue to to produce players like that and, and get them into to pro ball and where, where they have success you know I, I think you're gonna hear more and more about them and and, and see that program continue to develop just an interesting program, uh, I would say, to, to watch. Right now, overall, um, at at the moment, the AL teams have updated their rosters for the division series. The NL teams have not. 148 two- or four-year colleges uh, have, have a, at least one player who's made an active postseason roster. Uh, so pretty wide array of, of the number of schools that have players continuing on in pro ball which is always you know again something that I, I find very interesting that that you know you can have players from you know the south dakota state has had two players here on active rosters in pro ball and or in in the playoffs and you know south dakota state you know is is a not a school that we we spend a whole lot of time talking about uh when we're just talking about college baseball but You know, good baseball players come from everywhere and, you know, they, the, the scouts out there do a great job at finding these players and, you know, player development and pro ball continues to develop them, but, you know, it, it starts in college for, you know, a lot of these guys and, or continues, it starts in high school and, and earlier for everyone, but, but college is a key point of development for a lot of these guys. And, uh, you know, I think you see some of that reflected here as, as you watch the playoffs, um, so hopefully you can you check out the uh, top twenty-five uh, ahead of the division series as, as you're you're watching those games uh, from from Southern California and Texas this week. All right, so that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College Podcast. We um, want to encourage you to subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast, whether that's uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Not only can you listen to us, uh, but, you know, daily throughout the postseason, we have a playoff podcast as well. that You can check out, uh, you know, get the, the latest on on what happened the previous night around the uh, the postseason. J.J. Cooper and Kyle Glazer do do a, a great job bringing that to you. So if you're interested in that, you can find that uh, in the Baseball America podcast feed as well. You can follow joe and me on twitter i am at ted cahill joe is joe healy ba and we will be back here with another edition of the baseball america college podcast next week just as we are every week throughout this long off season uh slowly approaching is the 2021 season but we're we're here to keep talking college baseball uh throughout the the off season and we appreciate you guys uh joining us every week on that, on that, that journey. Uh, so I want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you to my bookie. Thank you to Rapsodo for presenting the Baseball America college podcast. And again, you can check out that Rapsodo national player database at rapsodo.com slash national database. I'm Teddy. He's Joe. We'll talk to you next week on the Baseball America college podcast.